This podcast is part of the Red 5 Network. For more Red 5 Network podcasts, visit red5network.com. Hey, all this is Aubrey Eden Dukes, and you're listening to the Scarif Podcast. And that's the Scuttlebutt. What is up, Scuttle Buddies? That startled me. You startled me. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I knew we were starting, but. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm awake now. We are ready to go. Hello, everybody in the chat. Uh, caffeinated diabetic. Hello there. Thank you for joining Fantastic us. Fantastic name. Yes. And, um, you know, from time to time, we usually see our regular bunch. Uh, I haven't seen caffeinated diabetic in the chat. Um, I know we haven't had a, uh, a Red 5 live. I'm sorry, a Scarif live in a while. So uh, thank you for joining us. CD and uh, hopefully some more people will join us. But uh, like you said earlier, this uh, was going to be just a standard record, non-live. But uh, let's hang out with some friends and talk a little Mandalorian. What do you say, Brad? Sounds good. You scared away our one viewer that we had there, so we're just recording this for a podcast. Yeah, uh, excited to be here. Excited to talk about chapter. 11 season two episode three of the mandalorian some people are saying it's their favorite yet um i don't know that's kind of like picking your kids although i do uh have a favorite but i don't tell them which one it is um, <laughs> oh my god that's terrible well i mean you know but uh it, this was definitely up there it definitely was uh, Mandalorian, like you said, the third uh, chapter, I guess the uh, the third chapter of the second season, overall chapter 11, titled The Heiress. That is going to get confusing real fast once we hit that fourth and fifth season. I yeah. don't know if I'll be able to keep up, but uh, you know what? I'm doing a little happy dance with my feet here because that episode was, uh, you know, last week we started uh, um, scoring those in scuttle cheeks. And uh, <laughs> thank you, everybody, for, uh, you know, joining in our festivities there, our little uh, our little rating system. Showing us your cheeks. Showing us your cheeks. But, uh, Brad, I, we're going to need some more cheeks for this past episode because four scuttle cheeks will not do it. I am no. so happy with, with this one. And I know a lot of people had a, a issue with the last episode uh, with the uh, Egg Gate 2020, but uh, <laughs> you know, let, let, I think we're past that. Uh, overall impressions, it, Brad. Yeah, I think they I think they reconciled for one, which is good. Um, it's good to see Baby Yoda hanging out with the Frog family. Uh, top to bottom, this was an amazing episode. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. She's, uh, I mean, her directorial skills are, I mean, she's, uh, she, she's getting up there with, with, with her dad, uh, lately on these shows. And, you know, even just the name, the, the heiress, um, you know, you see these names, you know, chapter one had the Marshall, um, you know, this, this one has the heiress and you already know just based off those names that the episode is going to be good. And this one did not disappoint there. You know, it's very uh, interesting. You started talking about the heiress, uh, but you trailed off uh, by mentioning Bryce Dallas Howard. 
And, uh, you know, uh, if the heiress has anything to do with it, obviously the Howard legacy and uh, very aptly titled, if I may say so, um, she, you know, definitely has uh, some directing chops. And this episode was fantastic. I know somebody somebody had posted some similarities between uh, some of the sequences of this episode with uh, with dad's Apollo uh, Apollo film. Uh, where the uh, shuttle uh, does a, a re-entry and uh, some of the parallels, some of the shots there were, um, you know, I, I definitely a homage to to her father uh, during the, the production of that film. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of really, really great stuff. I mean, uh, you know, you got to hand it to uh, the, the creatives at ILM. They have been knocking this, uh, this season out of the park uh, as far as special effects. They are uh, top-notch. They are movie quality uh, on the small screen. I was blown away uh, with, uh, obviously, the Crate Dragon, but uh, the X-Wing chase uh, in last week's episode was amazing. Um, you know, we talked about it in our review last week. Uh, you know, the swish pans and, and the, you know, the follow of the camera. Um, it was just amazing. And then this time around... Holy moly. I mean, those there, there are some shots in there that, uh, you know, you just got to watch and absorb and just really take it in because they were fantastic. Overall, uh, a great episode. Yeah, I mean, I was going to wait on until we got to that part of the uh, that part of the show, that part of the episode. But, you know, you, you were talking about beautiful shots, so I'll just go ahead and get it out there. I think that this episode has my favorite shots of the entire series in it. And that is of the Gazanti freighter oh, leaving yeah. the port, and mm-hmm. uh, that that shot. Uh, I mean, you're some mix of uh, I, I don't know, Top Gun, Apocalypse Now, like it, it had all those feelings in it. And they just took a, a craft, a spacecraft that we love. Um, it's in it's in the video games. It's in the uh, Armada tabletop game. It, it was in Rebels. They showed it there. Uh, they took those and they brought that Gazanti freighter to life. And uh, seeing that, uh, you know, the the thrusters of that and it taking off from the port is probably my favorite shot from the entire series so far. You, you're talking about uh, the one where you see the uh, tail, uh, the yep. tail thrusters just going away from the camera. Yep. It's a, I, I don't know it's what a it's beautiful seen. ship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the lighting. And, and, and of course we know they're, they're using, um, the, uh, you know, their, their technology for that. And, you know, but they're, they're CGI. Like it's just unreal, like, yeah. or very real, however you want to phrase sure. it. Um, but it just looks so real and they just brought the Gazanti freighter to life and not really an ex- exciting ship on its own. Um, but they, they made it look good and they really brought it to life. You know, one of the things that I'm very thankful that uh, these Disney uh, Star Wars films have, uh, you know, really stuck their guns to is the George Lucas used universe. The look of everything within this galaxy far, far away. Um, I was very impressed with the detail that went into uh, the that little sail barge, the boat. Um, you know, the camera comes flying in and as it gets closer, you can really see, you know, the barnacles and the rust on the side. There's like panels that are attached to it that have been, you know, repaired and replaced and, and, you know, kind of fixed up. It's, uh, 
again, just the attention to detail in this show really, um, it really surprises me. And, you know, I guess it shouldn't surprise me because the folks at ILM, uh, you know, they know what they're doing. They've been doing this for forever. Um, but it's, it's really nice just to continue to see, I guess, the legacy of the look uh, of what, you know, George Lucas established in, in these films uh, so many, many eons ago. Yeah, I think, you know, Solo did a lot of that when they were on Corellia and, and, you know, you see the the shipyard there. Um, But here um, in that dockyard at the very beginning, uh, I've been in the, you know, having been in a shipyard, they nailed that look. And uh, just the, I don't know, I'm sure they're going to give it a name. Uh, I'm sure Raul's going to post it on on Twitter, whatever the uh, actual name is of that. But, you know, the AT-AT mixed with with a crane. Um, that looks something straight out of a, out of a shipyard, but they Star Wars eyesed it, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it just looks amazing. Uh, and then you talked about that ship. You look, it looks like you're watching Deadliest Catch, you know, when when you're on that ship with the realism, and uh, it you know catered to that culture with Moncals and and Quarrens all over the place. Uh, it just an costuming, lighting, just an amazing job. Yeah, and you know when we first saw uh, some random shots uh, before the season dropped, uh, I remember thinking that that um, that sequence or that scene was going to be uh, taking place on the uh, station in uh, Resistance. I forgot uh, the name of it, but uh, it looked very uh, very similar to the station on on Resistance, uh, the the water base, the the ship. I can't remember. I'm, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not your uh, subject matter expert for for yeah. resistance. You you got more there than I do. Yeah, but um, but yeah, it's uh, you know, from top to bottom, that uh, episode was kind of uh, making me nuts. Uh, and then we'll get into some details as far as that goes. But uh, we, uh, you know, we're sticking with uh, kind of a little bit uh, behind the scenes talk. We have a question from uh, one of our viewers, caffeinated diabetic. Uh, Regarding the entire process of directing, writing, producing, he's uh, only seen Favreau credited with writing uh, some of these episodes. Is he putting together the entire script, each episode, or just pieces? And I'm assuming that it's a team effort between Favreau and Filoni uh, and some of the other writers on staff, but... Um, Favreau, obviously being the uh, you know the one of the major creatives on board, I would assume that uh, he would be tackling the entire script slash story, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Um, either way, that's that's kind of how they do it in uh, episodic television uh, for the most part. Yeah, we saw uh, some of that in, or actually a lot of that in the behind the scenes from season one, and like you said, between. Um, uh, Favreau and Filoni, they have their overall vision of, of the series of where, of where they're headed. And we'll definitely talk about where they're headed. Um, cause it's going to get interesting real fast. Um, but, uh, yeah, they have their overall, but then they, they have individual writers on, on each episode and, but they insert themselves where they need to. Where do you want to jump to? Um, well, we should yeah. jump to the fact that you've been right, and I posted this on Twitter. You've been right about every single prediction you've made. Uh, we'll, we will get into the, which ones I'm talking about. Uh, but I want to admit once again uh, that I've been wrong on every single prediction I made. <laughs> I used to think I know Star Wars. Uh, I take that back. I don't know anything about Star Wars, uh, or at least uh, The Mandalorian. Um, uh, I thought this was going to be on a certain planet. 
Uh, it was not oh, that that's plan. right. That's right. Yeah. I thought Sasha Banks was going to be Ahsoka because she, to me, she had to look for that. Uh, that was Ahsoka, Ahsoka or S- Sabine. I'm sorry. I'm uh, Sabine. Yeah. Um, and she, you're right. Sabine. Who, who I'm, you're right. Who are you, Brad? I don't know you anymore. I, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> it's, uh, it's my first day. Um, I just, I, I just, this is my first encounter with star Wars. I, I don't know what's going on, but, uh, you know, I, I'll admit when I'm wrong. And so far I've been wrong the entire time, but, I'll take that as a refreshing thing. That doesn't happen very often. I'm glad it's not predictable where you can see everything coming. So, I mean, I'll just look at the silver lining there. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, it, it starts with, of course, the, uh, as you said, the Apollo 13 entrance to, to the dockyard. And um, what, what do you think about the Razor Crest? Is this going to be a, um, mill- um, you know, Millennium Falcon type thing where the whole it's just beat up the entire time now? Or do you think – He's eventually going to get this thing fixed up as it should be. You know, I, I'm hoping that uh, they fix the ship up uh, real nice. I think, um, you know, getting back to the uh, the whole notion of this series being kind of a Western, um, I, I do kind of remember, you know, the, 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 the Waltons or the family that was heading into town with uh, you know, in their wagon, the wagon wheel was always breaking. The uh, the, the you know the the canvas uh, overhead was always tattered. Um, I don't know if they're doing a you know a one to one ratio, one comparison, um, but uh, it, it definitely has that feel to it. And uh, I, I I do want them to fix the Razor Crest. It's a handsome looking ship, and um, you know when it's uh, when it's working and flying majestically, it's it's a beautiful sight. Um, from a special effects standpoint, but, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we're probably going to get into more, you know, uh, hiccups with, with the Razor Crest. I think it lends to its, um, uh, you know, the, I guess the, uh, the role that it plays in moving the story forward or not moving the story forward. And I just want to say a big hello to Trevor, uh, Trevor Beast 454. Thank you for joining us, Trevor. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, he says that he's got a feeling that the Razor Crest won't be completely repaired until the time in between season two and three, um, which, uh, yeah, could be, could be. Yeah. I mean, at least Han Solo could brag that she's got it where it counts and Din Jaren can't even make that claim right now. I really right. don't think the Razor Crest has it where it counts. I mean, obviously it did in season one, uh, you know, he got hired for the one job just because of the Razor Crest. But that thing is beat all the hell right now. So I don't think she's really got it where it counts right now. Yeah, I would have to agree. Uh, hello to Charlie Skywalker. Thank you for joining us in the chat. Um, you know, I, we'll talk about it later, but I do have, I want to mention something and plant the seed um, regarding uh, Eggate 2020 um, and uh, Yoda's uh, penchant for eating eggs. Um, you know, as we see, as you know, we see the progression of the story this time around, um, we do see a little bit of a kind of a character growth for Yoda and we'll get into that, but it, it, I I think it uh, bears mentioning, um, that, um, you know, Yoda's not the monster that everyone thought he was last week. Um, but, uh, we'll, we'll get into that, uh, real soon. Um, again, the, you know, you mentioned the entry, the re-entry uh, of the Razor Crest uh, onto the planet's surface, uh, you know, heading towards the landing platform. That was an amazing sequence. It was exciting. Uh, special effects top-notch again. When you, I remember, you know, hearing interviews with special effects people saying that, 
you know, the the more they can stay away from water, the better. Water was such a, a very difficult thing to create in, in the computer um, because of its organic nature. And again, you know, I don't know if this was CGI water or if this was miniature. I know they love playing with miniatures and they wanted to kind of go back to uh, the basics with uh, creating these ships in, in miniature form and... Uh, but we'll see. I, you know, I can't wait for them to kind of restart the uh, the gallery series because I really, really, as you know, I, I get into the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, I mean, we don't want to keep saying the same things over and over again. But I mean, like like we've said this, you don't know, as you said, we don't know what's real, what's CGI, you know, anymore. And you know, we we have said this, but echo it one more time. Just the wish that George Lucas had this technology, and you know, the the conversation about the prequels would have been completely different had George had this technology for the prequels, obviously still had its acting and, you know, writing uh, flaws in it. Uh, but uh, if he had this technology uh, visually, because uh, people always talk about this, the, the poor CGI at times in the prequels, wish he had it, but we have it now and it's just, uh, it's making for a great series. Um, you know, and, Sticking with the Western theme, it was nice to see him go in that little inn, something you would see on the Western show, getting some slop. Uh, it was fun to see Baby Yoda playing with the uh, playing with his food. Uh, my, my son mentioned uh, this one kind of had a uh, Aliens versus Predator feel to it. You know, she's paying homage, as we said. We got the Apollo 13 references in there. But uh, he, he got the little face hugger on him. And then, of course, we had the infrared uh, vision later on on the Gazantes, so it, it did actually have some. I don't know if those were intentional, but they were there. Um, but, uh, yeah, immediately going from the end to, to that ship, you know, uh, feeding the Mama Corps, uh, you know, what you what'd you think of that sequence there? I loved it, and I loved it. And before we go any further, I, I wanted to mention that, uh, obviously, we are uh, broadcasting this live on, on uh, YouTube, um, and for those of you, if you have not seen the episode uh, today, uh, give us a pause, come back, because we definitely are going to be talking spoilers and uh, mentioning names and taking numbers and all that good stuff. So uh, uh, just uh, there's your little reminder. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I visually it's just, you know, you can't lose. It's, uh, it's great. I mean... Um, I don't know what else to say. It's, it's just fantastic. Yep. I mean, he's immediately in duress. And what I like is what we're seeing over time is um, the Mandalorian, Din Djarin, is not perfect. And, and I like that we're seeing that. And, uh, you know, he gets outdone by a lot of people. He gets beat up a lot. So it's great to see that he is not at the top of his arc. Uh, and he's still got some learning to do uh, in many areas of, of, of a character. Um, so how about that entrance? We, we, we know that we said it was called the heiress. Uh, that was the name of the show. Uh, how, how about that entrance, uh, for Bo-Katan? That was amazing. And if they didn't show up, I don't know how, uh, Din Djarin was going to get out of that mess. Um, you know, uh, back up a little bit when, uh, those squid guys, uh, shoved baby Yoda into the water. I like physically like yelped. I was, uh, petrified and scared i'm like oh my god uh so that was like from an emotional standpoint that was great uh when he went in and dove right in uh to to see if he can rescue uh the child 
again, fantastic. Again, you know, I, I don't know what he would have done. Uh, seems like he was really in trouble. Um, thank God that uh, these Mandos came to uh, to the rescue. And uh, that was a, a really great introduction to Bo-Katan, I, I got to tell you. These uh, Mandalorians, they took their helmet off, and uh, Din Djarin was uh, really taken aback. Uh, just like last time, he asked... Uh, Bo-Katan where he got that armor and uh, there you had a little bit of a backstory as far as what uh, you know how long that armor has been in in her family you got a little uh, a quick little explanation about uh, her battle uh, on Mandalore and the fight of the purge Um, let's see if uh, Scarif Brad is back you back there Brad he is not he left me solo but, uh, yeah, Trevor, I also was so pumped to see Bo-Katan in live action. She, Katie Sackhoff, as, as an actor, is is amazing. She obviously knows the character. It, it was fantastic. Let's see if we can get Brad back here. But, um, yeah, let's uh, go into the chat and see how many people are talking about it. How about that refitted AT-AT that brought the Razor Crest out of the water? Um, I did notice that, Charlie, and... Uh, I loved it. Uh, again, just, you know, this used look, the universe that uh, has uh, that, that we've come to know and love. Uh, very familiar with stuff like that. Uh, let's see. I've watched it twice. Caffeinated diabetic has a question. I've watched it twice, and I'm curious if Din or the child closed the container. I think the child did. Uh, we've seen in the first episode um, or, you know, chapter nine that he's able to kind of, you know, peek out of it, hit the button and close it on his own. So I have a feeling that uh, that he was able to close it uh, right before he I'd have to look at it again to see exactly when that was closed, because I know he went into the water and he was floating for a while before the mouth came up to to get him. So maybe when the mouth and the teeth started to close up. Um, that's when, uh, that's when he closed it, but, uh, a very exciting sequence and, uh, not as exciting as Brad's, uh, internet problems, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Once Brad gets back, uh, we're definitely going to talk a little bit about, uh, character growth. Here he is. Let's see. Let's bring him back. There you go. He's back. I got that, uh, I got that force losers, uh, internet here. There you go. You got that Force Losers Internet special. Man, yeah, but, that's uh, yeah. five ninety nine yeah. a month. That's that's what I pay. But uh, yeah, I, I was, what I was saying until my internet so rudely cut me off. Um, it, as soon as I got done watching this, uh, well, I've watched it three times. Uh, as soon as I got done watching it the second time, I went and watched the Siege of Mandalore. Now I know Bo Katan's in and Rebels, but I wanted to watch the Siege of Mandalore because I wanted to reminisce on her connection with Ahsoka in the Siege of Mandalore. And then you watch that, and then you see that the fighting techniques uh, that they used in The Mandalorian were nearly identical to what they put in the animation for in, in The Clone Wars, which is outstanding because, um, you know, they used the grappling hooks, they used the knives, they used the jetpacks, in their in their combat, you know, Din Djarin's not there yet. Where you know he's sort of using his jetpack, but more just for flight purposes. Mm-hmm. But the way they integrate uh, Bo-Katan and, and her can integrate the use of the jetpack into their fighting style, she used it in the Clone Wars, and we saw her use it here. Uh, so I just want to give him kudos for that. 
Absolutely. And obviously having Dave Filoni and Favreau at the helm, Dave Filoni, obviously uh, the man behind uh, that uh, series, he knows what he's doing. He knows what they're talking about. So um, yeah, there's uh, you know, when they boarded that ship uh, to uh, overtake it, um, I, one thing that I really, really love is like, they're not holding back on some of the firepower and some of the violence against the Imperials there. Um, they're not afraid. And, uh, you know, from using, you know, that knife that they, that, that you mentioned and, uh, the laser blast at close proximity. I mean, these guys, these guys mean business. And I, I love that. I, they're not, like I said, they're not holding back. Nope. Now, uh, you made a, uh, you had a theory that I think we discussed it two or three weeks ago about the mask. So I don't want to blow up your head too much, uh, more than it already is. Uh, but you mentioned that, uh, it was probably Din Djarin's, um, whatever sect or, or cult or whatever you want to call them that specifically wore the helmet. Uh, so, you know, you know, he meets them and then they immediately take their helmets off and he's freaked out. Right. Um, so uh, you want to talk about what, what you were saying and uh, brag a little bit about how right you were? <laughs> well, you know, I, I was just thinking about it because obviously, you know, the fact that uh, nobody takes no, none of the Mandalorians take their helmets off. That legend doesn't seem to be in any of the other Mandalorian, you know, properties or programs that we are familiar with. So, you know, one of the reasons that I thought that uh, the Mandalorians in this show, the ones that raised Dinjar and the Foundling, um, used that as an excuse, per se, to either protect him or, you know, that was part of their group, their creed. Um, and I guess it turns out to be true because, uh, you know, Bo-Katan kind of says, you know, they, obviously they take their helmets off and they're like, why can't we take our helmets off? But um, it, it's interesting. So... You know, not that they're protecting Din Djarin, but I guess, you know, half of my theory is correct. Uh, the other half, we might have to wait until uh, a few episodes in to really find out, you know, is it just because they're trying to bring back the ancient ways of the Mandalore, uh, the Mandalorians, or are they really trying to protect his identity from someone or something? So that... Uh, that is my big prediction, um, where uh, I think Din Djarin is somebody special, and uh, they need to hide him for some reason. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, hiding uh, small children or hiding identities in Star Wars. You know, Luke was hidden from his father. Leia was hidden. Uh, so who knows? Let's see what happens. Yeah, I think this episode and this season, they've they've done a lot of good conflict uh, resolution or actually plot resolution. Um, like many, I was one of the ones that was getting really wrapped around the axle about this whole we can't take our helmets off thing when we saw it nonstop uh, in, in the Clone Wars. Uh, yeah. The whole planet had their helmets off. So like, what is this crap? Um, and, and it looks like they're not playing – catch up as Disney has done in, in many cases, seemingly uh, where they were trying to play catch up and, and, you know, fix some of their uh, mistakes. I don't think any of these are, you know, they're doing retroactively. I think all of these are planned out, which makes it amazing. So I think they always had a plan for the whole helmet issue. Um, like you said, it's, it's Filoni working on it. So there's no way Filoni forgot the fact that he had, you know, Mandalorians with their helmets off on the Clone Wars that he just made, you know, five, ten years ago. Um, 
So I, I like that we're we're getting some resolution on, on some of these, you know, what we thought were plot holes, but it looks like they're all part of the plan. Definitely. So uh, we have a funny question from Backyard Tardis. Thank you very much for submitting that. What was the more awkward kiss, the frog couple or Finn and Rose? Finn and Rose. That's not that's not even a question. I mean, the, the the frogs looked naturally in love. They were they were happily reunited. They had uh, one of their eggs fertilized. Uh, again, she seems to be just fine from uh, their travels uh, with with baby Yoda. Doesn't seem to be too bent out of shape that she lost an egg or two or three. Um, and she was happy to see her husband again. And I thought they had a very natural relationship. Theirs was much more natural than what we saw with uh, Finn and Rose on crate. So you mentioned uh, eggs being fertilized, and uh, I um, I, did. I laid the groundwork. See see what I did there. I laid the groundwork. Um, ah, so but sure. I <laughs> um, I mentioned the fact that uh, there's a little bit of uh, character growth for Yoda here, um, and I've obviously Dinjarin um, as kind of a surrogate father for this uh, particular youngling. Um, we do see that, uh, by the end of the episode, uh, the child really is fond of those little, uh, froglets, the little tadpoles. Yep. And, uh, I just want to mention how cute it is when Dinjarin was pulling him away that he was like doing his little, like, ah, kah, kah, kah. He was, like trying to get, you know, stay, uh, hanging out with them. But, um, what do you think as far as, because it, now it really seems deliberate. You know, last week's episode, he was really, you know, being a little brat and eating the eggs. And now he's learning um, that, uh, you know, I don't know what he's learning. He's learning. What is he learning? He's learning that uh, his actions have consequences. He's learning that, uh, you know, that uh, one man's eggs are another man's children, well, <laughs> so to speak. I, I... I think all it shows is they're writing a child accurately because we saw these things, you know, you have progress and you have, you have progression and you have regression with, with every child. Uh, we saw this in season one, he ate a frog in season one. And then, uh, later on, either in that episode or the next episode, maybe he didn't eat the frog and he let it go. Um, he ate the eggs last episode and he played with the frogs this time. So just like any child seemingly his age, although, Again, I question the whole fifty-year, fifty-year-old thing, um, but uh, in, but he's a toddler, uh, so like any toddler, he's progressing, and then sometimes he regresses. So I think they're just writing a child correctly as what you would see in a child's development. I don't think there's anything more to it than that. Hey, sometimes I coo and I ah, and uh, in the middle of the night, so I don't. And know And that's what you're why we love about. you for it. You know, it's. Uh, <laughs> You know, uh, so we're we're on the Gazanti cruiser, and she's talking about uh, uh, getting these weapons to retake Mandalore. So this whole retaking of Mandalore, do you think we're gonna? I, I, I guess I'll make my personal prediction and send it over to you. So what you think? I don't think we're gonna see too much with Mandalore. Again, I guess I'll preface this one, one more time. I've been wrong every single prediction I've made. So if I say it, uh, so I'll say that I don't think we'll see Mandalore this season. I think that's going to be an overarching thing over a couple seasons. I think if they retake Mandalore, that's maybe in season three or season four. Um, but uh, do you think – so maybe by me saying that, we will see Mandalore. Uh, do you think we're going to see any action on Mandalore this season? So let me ask you this uh, just so I am clear on the timeline the yep. from the point 
that this story takes place and then the final season of the Clone Wars um, episode, the arc that you're talking about, uh, give us a quick little timeline reminder of what takes place when and where and who. Yeah, so uh, obviously you have the action during the Clone Wars, um, and that's when it was kind of up for grabs. Almec was in charge at that time. Maul inserted himself as leader of the uh, of Mandalore, um, and then you had the end of the Clone Wars. You had the Empire take over, uh, and then you're looking at so you're looking at 20 years there. It looks like Mandalore sort of resisted, but not very well. Uh, so we had the Empire taking over in that time. Um, and uh, we'll, of course, learn more about that. Uh, we'll get more into detail about the Empire and the Darksaber and Moff Gideon. Um, but you're looking at, you know, 20, what, about 25 to 27 years um, between the events of what we see in the Clone Wars and what we see in the Mandalorian. Um, so, but under that time, it seems like um, the Empire pretty much had control of Mandalore. Uh, that time between having puppet rulers and then just outright rule of Mandalore. Uh, so it looks like Empire has been in pretty good control of it. And now with the Mandalorian scattered across the the, the, uh, the galaxy, uh looks like Bo-Katan is trying to you know, gather the forces together so they can retake Mandalore, which is something which would be kind of sort of a first in the Star Wars galaxy. Um Mandalore fighting back for its own area. You know, they've been very, um, you know, like the Spartans, they, they went on many conquests uh, throughout the universe and they uh, took over a lot of planets, but they were not usually on the receiving end uh, of these conflicts. So it looks like now for the first time they are in the receiving end uh, and, you know, they're going to have to take their, their planet back after about 20, 25 years of Imperial rule. So uh, that's another thing that I find very intriguing about this series is obviously this takes place, uh, what, three to five years after the uh, events of Return of the Jedi. We all know how that ended. Uh, Vader uh, has uh, died. The Emperor has died. But, you know, he, he comes back. Spoilers. But uh, the fact that there are still uh, Imperial forces out there and... You know, the first season gave us a look at Imperial forces. They weren't as organized as this group. And um, we get a, a really interesting look at the factions of, of these Imperial warlords. You have the client in the first season who doesn't seem like he was like really Imperial. You know, he kind of looked like a, like a thug. So, you know, some of his uh, stormtroopers were, were dirty and, and messed up. This group actually looked like the Empire. Obviously, they had the ship. They had the uniforms. They all looked pressed. So there's obviously a vacuum of power, and the Empire is still trying to maintain control, even though the, uh, the head of Hydra has been eliminated, per se. But... Uh, I find that I find all that stuff fascinating. I love that uh, that we're still kind of seeing that, and I love the fact that the Empire is still out there trying to, you know, trying to maintain control. And I know, you know, we had the aftermath uh, books and things like that, but it's really something to see it in in live action. I, I really, really love that. Yeah, you nailed it with hydras. I, that was actually the the term I was going to use because. Um, what you, you, you've been asking for I got connections. You. I got you, Brad. I got you, Brad. Yeah, I, got I, I know you. you got, you, you can read my mind sometimes. Uh, you, you've been asking for connections between this and the sequel trilogy. I think we all 
or actually asking for that connection between the Mandal or really anything, but the Mandalorian and the sequel trilogy. But I think you see here the seeds of the first order and, you know, Hydra is a good parallel because, uh, Hydra was nowhere and they were everywhere at the same time. And that's kind of where we are with the empire. And they were also ultra zealots, uh, zealous. Uh, and these, you know, these guys were zealots too. Um, but what you see here is the seeds of the first order in that we, we first saw this with Operation Cinder, uh, saw in the Aftermath books, as you mentioned, but we also saw it in uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2. Um, and now other things have, have referred back to Operation Cinder as well. Um, and, you know, you had the Empire firing on its own planets, uh, firing on loyal planets. And, you know, this was the Empire's final um order was to was to melt all these places so they were seeing who could remain loyal to the empire after doing all that you know horrendous uh, hellacious stuff and what you get is you know there's not many of them but what is left are the ultra zealots and then those zealots are the ones that you're going to see later on in the sequel trilogy those officers that are working for their first order and how just completely loyal they are uh, to an extremist extent, you know, that's that's all they know. Uh, so I think these these officers that we're seeing now, I think a lot of them will go on. Obviously, the First Order is being built up at this same time. But I think a lot of these zealots, you know, are, are going to be the ones that help uh, build up the First Order. And uh, this was actually my son's favorite moment in the, in the show where he basically used the uh, electric cyanide. Uh, tablet on oh, himself, yeah. you know, because he knew Moff Gideon would would kill him in a heartbeat. Sure. So instead, he took the uh, coward's way out and just, you know, offed himself with the, his little elect, like you said, electric cyanide. I don't know how better to describe it than that. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. And uh, I was uh, surprised to see um, the uh, Bosch actor uh, Titus uh, Willier, I think is his name. Uh, as the Imperial officer, he's a great uh, actor. We've seen him in all sorts of shows. I mean, he he was your. I mean, when when you think of an Imperial, that guy was just was cold. Yeah. Um, and you know, when he was asking for backup, he wasn't actually asking for backup. He was just waiting for Gideon to give him the order, and uh, didn't think twice about shooting the two pilots in front of him, and then uh, you know diving the whole freighter I into the ocean. So yeah, he just. Um, but you know, he wasn't stiff about it either. He had his, he had his own personality. So yeah, he, he did an amazing job as well. Absolutely. And you mentioned Battlefront. Uh, I, uh, tweeted a, uh, little, uh, tidbit of information regarding, uh, Janina Gavankar and, yeah. uh, her, uh, role in tonight's episode, uh, which, uh, you probably, uh, missed, um, it was, uh, I, I'm just wondering too, like why, uh, I guess you were wondering it too, why she came in and to, to, to do this. Um, uh, so I guess she came in, uh, to the studio to be, uh, the electronic puppeteer for the nostrils of the Mon Calamari that was, uh, watching, uh, Mando's ship land towards the beginning of the show. So, uh, she was there. And you probably missed it. And again, if I hadn't read that little tidbit of information, we probably wouldn't have known. But uh, uh, kudos to Janina. And obviously, folks uh, would love to see her uh, back in the role of uh, her character from the games, um, Aiden Versio. 
uh, in the show, but that would be fantastic. But uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like, uh, you know, if you are a friend of Filoni or Favreau, uh, you want in on this show. Yeah, it was funny. I, I always love when I learn something from a Scarif Scuttlebutt uh, tweet. I was like, <laughs> I was like what? Well, uh, well, number one, I know I didn't tweet that, so Roe tweeted that one. Um, and uh, I have no idea what he's talking about. So this is going to be – I'm going into my own show, and I have no idea what we're going to be talking about. Um, but, yeah, they – you know, you can see from uh, her tweets and um, – uh, his name is escaping me, but the the guy that plays her father in in Battlefront, they absolutely loved, um, you know, being involved in sure. the Star Wars universe. And uh, you know, we've been we've had questions in you know the last few weeks. People have been talking about live action shows. You know, now everybody's just like got this hunger for live action shows, which is amazing. That's exactly where we want to be. Um, and uh, I've you know I've lobbied for a, a Star Wars Battlefront. Um, to sequel, you know, the, the empire times, but you know, if she wants to get involved, I would love, love to see an Inferno squadron live action from when they were in the empire and with, with her, with her dad. And, you know, we, uh, there's a connection here. Um, unless I'm mistaken, uh, the name of her ship that was, she, she rides an Imperial Raider, uh, is, is the Corvus. And uh, Corvus is apparently the planet that uh, Ahsoka Tano was on. Uh, so there's a connection there with a Corvus. Um, but uh, can you imagine, that, you know, because her dad, that guy is an amazing actor as well. Yeah. Uh, played your, um, you know, an Imperial Admiral just perfectly. I wish we had seen more of him in Battlefront 2. Um, but uh, can you imagine, you know, a live action set in that Imperial Raider? With, with them going on missions from the Empire standpoint. I mean, we have the Cassian Andor series coming out from the Rebellion standpoint. Could you imagine seeing them on, on that side? Back up a little bit, because you just mentioned Ahsoka Tano. Yeah. And um, when I first heard her say her name, I was blown away. I said, all right, all right, we're doing this. We're doing this. Holy crap. This uh, this is going to be fantastic. So, you know, I, I know a while ago, Alex and I uh, did a uh, podcast, uh, a Scarf Scuttlebutt podcast uh, show where we mentioned the fact that, uh, uh, you know, uh, bringing Ahsoka Tano into a live action is going to be tricky. I think from a special effects standpoint, it's definitely going to be tricky. I think um, ILM has its work cut out for them. Uh, because I think it's it's going to have to be kind of a combination, like I said earlier, it's going to have to be a combination of CGI and practical effects. Ahsoka Tano is a very complicated visual character, and uh, you know I know there's a lot of uh, folks out there that cosplay Ahsoka Tano and other uh, Togrudas, and I know we've seen some already, but um, you know there's something about Ahsoka Tano. If you don't get her right the first time around, you're dead in the water. So I'm. Uh, cautiously optimistic but i am very excited uh to see her jump from uh from the you know the small screen of animation to the small screen of live action uh it, it's next week if if it happens next week it's gonna blow everybody's brains out of the water yeah i mean um i'm gonna make 
another prediction. So I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna make sure this goes the way everybody wants it to, to go. Because um, I would be personally surprised uh, if it if he saw her next week. It's never usually that easy. Uh, it's been getting a, to me almost a little cheesy where everything he has to do he has to go on a little mission for to to get what he wants. Um, but you know, that's, that's part of this type of show. Uh, so I'd be very surprised if he actually saw her next week. Therefore he's probably going to see her next week, but the costuming has been just on point, uh, for every, well, except for the Gamorrean skinny legs, those are still up for debate. Um, but for the most part, the costuming for every species, whether it's a known or a new species has been on point. And then the casting of Rosario Dawson for Ahsoka Tano, um, you know, I was talking about how old she must be, and I think I calculate she's going to be around fifty or so. Um, Everybody, everybody's and, fifty in this show. Yeah, she, so she's the same age of, as Baby Yoda. Um, and again, we're hoping that she sees him and calls him Baby Yoda, so that'll be canon. Um, you know, Baby Yoda will officially be his name. Um, but I think she is the perfect casting for it with with her facial features um, and the way she carries herself naturally in any because she's got. You know, just like Ahsoka, she's always had had like a sly sort of sense of humor, but a maturity about her as well. Um, and so just the way she carries herself, I think Rosario Dawson is absolutely the perfect casting for Ahsoka Tano. Well, that you know, there's an interesting uh, chat going on. And thank you, Cam Ray, for joining us. You are about 45 minutes late sir but uh we'll stay still take your questions and comments uh you know Kate, he says katie sackoff covered all of bo-katan from animation to live uh so he wonders how ahsoka will be received and i know um you know rosario dawson has been uh you know effectively you know taking the role of ahsoka you know from all the things that we've heard online um it's going to be interesting because you know you guys are right um, you know, visually she's obviously she's got the look, it's going to take that, but, um, it's going to be, uh, you know, if you don't hear Ashley Eckstein, Eckstein, uh, are people going to get mad? Uh, I wonder if I don't think Ash, so. Ashley's going to be doing the voice or if somehow, somehow she's going to nail that voice or excuse yeah. me. I, I don't know. It's, it's going to be a little tricky. It's going to be a little tricky visually. It's going to be a little tricky, uh, you know, with the, with the voice. So, uh, I hope, uh, you know, I hope we get excited to, to see what happens. But again, another one of my predictions, as I always mentioned to you, uh, you know, early, um, I think we won't see Ahsoka Tano until the very last shot of the very last uh, episode of this season. Oh, you're, going that, you're going that far? Yeah, I'm going that far. We're going to we're gonna keep doing these uh, funky little missions, but um, yeah. we're, we're always going to kind of be, you know, two steps behind until that last uh that last shot that's that's gonna that's uh our will be our first glimpse of ahsoka tano in live action that for that last shot of this season and that that would be really great because you know over the break over in between uh season two and three uh it's gonna be a feeding frenzy for us star wars fans to to talk and speculate and all that stuff yeah i'm i hope you're wrong on that prediction i hope we do see her uh again uh, we know tomorrow Morrison is in this. Uh, we, we saw him as Boba. I, I did say this a while ago. I would love to see him still as Rex if Rex is still around. 
Um, obviously, he was supposed to have the advanced aging. Um, but if he's still hanging out with Ahsoka, that would be cool. But as far as the voice goes, yeah, it's not going to be Ashley Eckstein. Nor I don't think uh, Rosario is going to try to – if she tried to mimic Ashley's voice, that's not going to work. But, right. uh, you know – what they have in their favor is the time factor. And again, you're talking about uh, 25 years at least since we saw Ahsoka last. Um, actually closer, yeah, 25, 27 years, somewhere around there since we saw Ahsoka last. So any differences in their voice can be attributed to time. So it's a little bit deeper, which Rosario's voice is deeper than Ashley's. Uh, you can just attribute that to time. Um, but uh, I think as far as the way she speaks and everything, she can still uh, pull it off. Yeah, it's going to be interesting for sure. Uh, caffeinated uh, Diabetics asks, will she be with Boba Fett? And uh, I don't know. I I don't know what Boba Fett's role is going to be in all of this. Uh, you know, we saw him obviously uh, in that uh, last shot uh, of the first uh, first chapter there. But um, who knows? Let's uh, we'll see what happens. And uh, I know we nobody thought that we were going to get more Boba Fett this time around. Um, maybe uh, you know if if we hear that we have to go back to Tatooine for some reason, one reason or another, then, uh, you know, maybe we'll definitely see him, but I don't see him. I, I, I think they're going to start progressing the story as far as getting the child to his kind, uh, you know, uh, they're going to start to kind of ramp up that, uh, storyline, uh, just for, uh, these next few episodes. Yeah. So I'll ask for one more prediction from you. Now that Din Jaren knows that you can take your helmet off, it's okay. Um, do you, and we heard about potential. We don't know how well those were verified. Potential conflicts about Pedro wanting more quote unquote FaceTime. Uh, do you think we'll see more of actual Pedro now that he can, he might be able to take his mask off? Possibly. I think, you know, uh, in universe, the character, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I saw that, um, we, uh, he flew off that, uh, little ship, uh, kind of, uh, in disbelief, like, uh, no, you're wrong. And then he just took off. So I think he might still, you know, hold true to that, uh, aspect of his sect. And, um, you know, I, I don't really hold that much credence to the uh, the the rumor that he had a fight with production and he wanted to be, uh, you know, on camera more. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, I, I think the story will lend itself to him realizing, oh, OK, uh, I can take my helmet off and it's 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 OK. So I think as his character progresses more and obviously we've seen. Uh, a progression of his character and understanding of who he is. I, I think as we see more of that, you know, uh, he might feel a lot more comfortable uh, taking off his helmet, especially if we see more of these Mandalorians uh, that are uh, hanging out with Bo-Katan uh, in the near future. We'll see more of that. So I, I think safe to say that, yes, we'll, we'll probably see it. And the, the cult that he is, that Bo-Katan mentioned was child of the watch. Uh, mm -hmm. do you th is that watch? Do you think Death Watch, or do you think that's a separate oh, yeah. name? No, but no, wasn't no, she? I definitely think. I want to say, wasn't she a member when we first met her in Clone Wars? Um, I thought she was a member of Death Watch at that time when we first, before we knew that she was Satine's sister. 
Uh, I'm sure somebody will correct me. Uh, I need to go back and watch those. I, I went yeah. straight to the last episodes. I thought she was a member of Death Watch um, before I don't helping remember. to take back Mandalore. Yeah. But maybe not. I don't recall. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm assuming the watch was was Death Watch. Yeah. So Cam Cam, Cam says yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, I guess she. Uh, no longer a part of them, but again, uh, just one more for costuming. Hers was um, perfectly matched to what it was in the Clone Wars, and they even gave her the same guns that she had. Um, so I got really excited watching that uh, attack sequence on the ship. Um, again, just like the Clone Wars uh, episode, you know the way she uh, held her guns and uh, the way she attacked. Um, who is, uh, who are the other two characters? I know Sasha, which is not her real name, I guess, cause I saw it in the credits, but, uh, the, the other two Mandos that were with Bo-Katan, are they anybody from the cartoons? Not, not that I know of. Uh, I saw their names, you know, I had the closed captioning on and, uh, but, uh, I didn't, their names weren't familiar as far as anybody. Um, if they were in the clone, well, I don't think their age even lends itself, uh, to to being in the Clone Wars, I don't think there were anybody in particular except for Mandalorians hanging out with Bo-Katan. But uh, what I'm really looking forward to is what is going on between Bo-Katan and Moff Gideon. Um, her her voice got icy there when she was uh, in her very brief interrogation of the Imperial officer. Her voice got very icy about wanting to get that dark saber back and finding out where Moff Gideon was. So I'm really this. That's probably one of the most, um, you know, that's the storyline I am most interested in seeing is what the hell happened between her and Moff Gideon. Well, hell, man, Bo, give me a call. I got a dark saber here that nobody claimed. I'll send that one to. You. <laughs> but uh, yeah. It's uh th- that's definitely going to be uh, an interesting story to follow. So, I'm uh, I'm all for that. Um, quick question: uh, Caffeinated uh, diabetic uh, did Ahsoka and Boba cross paths in the Clone Wars when he was a child? Uh, wasn't uh, didn't wasn't there an episode? I don't know if they crossed paths, but huh? Good question. Um, wasn't he a sure. pirate kid? He was, and he was he was hanging out with uh, Bosk, and uh, he was yeah. hanging out with. Uh, I don't Asajj think they ever crossed paths, though. I, I wasn't a big fan. I wasn't a, just you know confessional here. I wasn't a big fan of young Boba Fett. I thought those were kind of cheesy in the Clone Wars. Yes, mm-hmm. everybody loves getting Boba Fett content, but I think they just stretched it too much. I did not put much stock into a, a teenage bounty hunter in in the Star Wars. You know, human. Uh, bounty hunter in the Star Wars universe that even with his name um, preceding him, I didn't take those episodes too seriously, but I don't remember Ahsoka ever crossing paths with him in those. Any other last thoughts before we uh, conclude our little discussion on the Mandalorian episode? I'm just ready to, I guess uh, we got to chug. I'm ready to break out my cheeks. Oh, that's right. All right. How many cheeks? Let's Everybody's doing the cheek uh, rating. Thank you very much for indulging us. Uh, we've got uh, a, a pair of scuttle cheeks, uh, one pair each uh, for a total of four scuttle cheeks. And we've been rating the uh, episodes. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I tweeted that uh, I liked this episode a lot. It had everything that I wanted it to have and more. And, uh, 
four scuttle cheeks is just not enough for me. But uh, if I have to have four, then four it will be. Four scuttle cheeks for me on uh, chapter uh, 11, The Heiress. What about you? You know, I would have given it four. And this is me just being completely selfish. But you always have to have either one critic. One of the critics has to be an asshole the whole time, right? If I remember correctly, one's the nice one, one's the jerk. Uh, I think we can switch that role up um, as need be. But uh, <laughs> I'm going to give it three. So we're going to go for an overall three and a half skull cheeks. And the only reason I'm giving it three is because I'm a selfish jerk and it should have been longer. We got yeah. what was it, 32 minutes, I think it was. If I remember, either 32 or 35, I want to say it was 32. Uh, they gypped us. They should have given us more Bo-Katan, and they should have given us more Imperials and more Gazanti freighters. And because they didn't, they deprived me of (laughs) 15 to 20 minutes of good material. I'm going to give them down to three Scuttle Cheeks. If they made that a 45-minute episode, it would have been four Scuttle Cheeks for sure. But that's their fault for jipping me. So I'm giving it three Scuttle Cheeks for a total of three and a half Scuttle Cheeks. Where is the justice? Where is the justice, Brad? I want the, I want the extended cut. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, all right. Sounds good. What, uh, what are your predictions for next episode? Um, again, I, I don't think we're going to see Ahsoka just yet. Uh, still too early. Um, but uh, definitely would love to see Bo-Katan. She looks damn good. Uh, predictions. Uh, I don't agree with you that we're only going to see Ahsoka. Uh, let's see what we're on. Uh, this is the third episode, chapter 11. Um, so we're almost halfway through, uh, this season. I don't think it's going to be all the way at the end, but I don't also think we're going to see her this episode. That would be too nice. They'd be giving us too, too soon. Uh, so I think next episode will just be some other random adventure that, slightly pushes forward the storyline in some manner. Um, So I think it'll be another random encounter or random job or something like that as he makes his way uh, towards Ahsoka. I think we're going to see some Gideon uh, in the next chapter. I think we're going to see a lot more uh, Imperial uh, workings and uh, trying to flesh out a little bit of that Empire uh, flavor uh, just to kind of keep us away from um, you know, meeting Ahsoka too soon. So, uh, I can't wait for that. I, uh, you know, long live the empire as we say around, uh, Scarif station. And, uh, I'm looking forward to that, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, each episode has been getting, you know, progressively better and, uh, really can't wait, uh, for, for next week. There's a lot to live up to. I would be perfectly happy if we got uh, an episode that was 70% Imperial and they just cut to Din Djarin from time to time. I'd be, you know, <laughs> you, you and I can't get enough Imperial content. So uh, especially as uh, you know, fantastic as they have Moff Gideon. Uh, yeah, I, I'd be completely on board for that. Excellent. Excellent. All right, guys uh, in the chat, thank you guys for uh, coming on such a short notice. Uh, We were just going to record our episode, but we wanted to hang out with uh, some of you, so thank you for stopping by. The Scare of Scuttlebutt live tonight. Uh, I'm probably going to go watch it again. Yeah, uh, three times is never never enough for me. But, uh, you know, the the weather on Trask might be uh, overcast, but it is always sunny on Scarif. 
And that is the Scuttlebutt. Hey, Star Wars fans and friends of the podcast, don't forget to leave the guys a voicemail for a chance to be included in the discussion. Let them know what's on your mind. Call 773-234-8659. And that's the Scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt.